Welcome to the School Yoga Coach Podcast. My name is Molly, and I am a middle school teacher, a trauma-informed yoga teacher, and I'm the founder of the Instructional Yoga Coach Training Program, because we believe that every school needs a yoga teacher. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Um, if you are like me, you're getting ready to go back to school or you've already made decisions or plans and maybe you've already started back at school, in school, at home, hybrid, you know, there's quite a matrix of choices out there. Um, But one thing we're all kind of concerned about is, is reconnecting or connecting with kids after this rather unusual break, right, um, away from them or if they are our own kids, you know, and they've been at home with us, maybe we're trying to reconnect with them in a different way. So instead of just as a parent, now we're maybe trying to also um, take on the role of teacher. So first of all, I think we're at a great place to work together, okay, to be partnering as teacher and parent. And hopefully your school is also including a yoga teacher as part of their staff or as someone, um, as a consultant that can work with parents and teachers to help their kids um, balance out that nervous system, get rid of some of the stress that they might not even know exists. So... I hope your school is including a yoga teacher. If not, please reach out to your local yoga teachers on your own and say, can you help us? And if they're like, well, I'd love to, but I'm not sure what to do, have them reach out to me, okay? Because that's exactly what I do with yoga teachers. I train them to work with with, uh, classroom teachers and kids to help continue the learning process. So... Sorry, sidebar there, but I think it's real important that we work together now. Because if your kids are in school, it's not going to look the same as it did before. And so the teacher who might have up to this point been a more, um, oh, compact, you know, just more overtly loving and friendly person might not look that way anymore. It's not that we aren't and we don't feel it, but there are a lot more restrictions. So we can't hug your kid. We can't put our hand on their shoulder and tell them they're doing a good job. I can't even give your child um, my pencil to use, okay, which feels awful for me as a teacher. And what that tells me is that that part that physical connection, that closeness is more and more important from the parents. Now, parents are also like, oh my gosh, but I'm sitting here. I would love to be that, but now all of a sudden I have to like tell them to do their math and then move on to their social studies. And how do I know if they're actually doing it or not? So that's where the teacher can step in, even if it's virtual, and say, hey, you know, this is... This is, you know these are the expectations. This is what needs to be done. So we need to communicate a lot, right? Um, and, and this is a great time to do that. I know even when I say it, I can feel the stress building in me. Like how will I ever 
keep in touch with all those parents. And I'm sure that as a parent, you're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to um, keep in touch with the, the teachers of all my kids or in all my kids' teachers, right? Maybe there's multiple teachers too. So let's not make this stressful for us. Let's just decide we're going to try to do this at some point. Let's just do that at some point. So at some point, decide you want to touch base with uh, your child's teacher. Or if you're the teacher, decide at some point, I am going to make sure I touch base with the parent. And maybe, I know my uh, co-workers and I are trying to think of lots of different ways that we can stay in contact with parents that is easy for them to digest. It's kind of on their time. Um, it's hard, okay? We're all doing hard work, but do not let that stress you out. Let's just kind of look at it from, all right, we can do this. This is just something new we need to do. Okay, so what that leads me to actually is a uh, concept that you may or may not be familiar with called attachment. So um, when I first learned about the concept of attachment, and that would be like child attachment at you know very young age, um, you know, first I was like very interested. I thought, oh, how cool. And then I immediately became, um, <laughs> you know, very like, oh my gosh, I didn't do this with my kids. So a little judgmental and felt bad. So we're going to remove all that. No shame, no blame. Um, attachments happen in different ways simply because of um, the environment and whatever's going on at the time, okay? So I'm going to real quick go over it, uh, but I'm not going to go into it very deeply. Um, I did write about it a whole bunch in my book, Mindful Schools from the Bottom Up. Um, so you can pick that up. You can also Google just kind of what it is, but... Um, there are four main attachment types and then a fifth one that I'll explain in a second. But these four different attachment styles, I should say, um, occur because of um, how we as caretakers, how we, how we respond to a baby's sense of distress. Okay, so baby has to sense distress, they have to express that, and then as parents or as caretakers, we respond, and then, you know, if they're a baby and they're crying, you know, we don't always get it right, right? And so um, we try again, try again, try again, and then if we can, you know, relieve that distress for the baby, feed them, change their diaper, things like that, then we would say that that attachment cycle has completed, all right? Um, so you can see how with a firstborn child, when you are maybe like unsure of what a, cry, what a crying baby needs, it might take us a little bit longer to respond to them. However, on the flip side, we kind of stay with it, right? We're like, I'll just keep trying because this is all I'm doing right now, or for the most part. And, you know, I can give a lot of attention to that baby. On the other hand, 
if this is my third or fourth child and I've got other kids who have other needs, well, that baby might not get that immediate response from me. Um, but on the flip side, I might kind of know what they want right away, maybe. Okay, so this is what I mean by it just, you know, there's no perfect way, but if all uh, if the stars align and we're able to respond to baby right away, then we would say, and, if, and it's repeated, right? This isn't like once. Um, this is like over the course of a year or two years or six years. Um, we would say that a, a baby or a child develops a secure attachment when they kind of grow up believing, oh, I can trust you to, to care for me. So when a child trusts their caregiver to um, give them what they need, to keep them safe, to set boundaries, um, to love them, to forgive them, you know, all those things, when they trust them to do that, then we might say that that's a secure attachment style. Once again, this doesn't mean 100% of the time or that we always as parents or teachers always are able to give them what they need, but just kind of like in general. So a child who grows up with that, I can trust you to care for me and goes to school, tends to have a pretty um, confident um, self-confidence about the different struggles they run into, right? Because if they don't understand something, they kind of believe that their teacher's there to help them. And if they go home, they believe that their their parents are going to make them do their homework, even if they don't want to. But if they get stuck, you know, they'll help them. The next style is called avoidant. And an avoidant attachment style is kind of um, the result of a caretaker who is unable to respond to the child in distress or um, they're constantly or consistently, not constantly, but consistently misreading the baby's cues or thinking a child is um, is hungry when in fact they're tired. I don't know, something like that. And so what a child grows up learning is, okay, when I tell you I'm in distress, you are not going to help me out. You're, you're going to try, but it's not going to be what I need. So the, the belief that that child has is basically, well, I have to take care of myself. So in school, we might see this as a kid who does not want help, who doesn't ask for help, who doesn't have any questions, and even when given directions, might decide to do it their own way anyway. Okay? So that's, I have to take care of myself. And the avoidant attachment. Once again, you know, I'm talking in extremes, but, you know, we all have a little bit of, of all of these in us. Okay? Doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't make us a good or a bad person. It's just the way we interact with people. Okay. Third on this uh, type of attachment style would be ambivalent. So an ambivalent um, attachment style is the result typically of a very anxious parent. Someone who is very stressed out, who tends to be perhaps overprotective or is very image conscious like 
Don't go out there looking like that, right? Um, and so that parental caretaker anxiety, this isn't, this isn't um, shared verbally, but the child can pick up on it and the child knows then, okay, I have to take care of my caregiver. They might be taking care of me physically, but I have to make sure I don't mess up. I have to make sure I say the right thing. I have to make sure I calm them. I have to look right. I have to get the right grades. Okay. So um, this would perhaps in the classroom kind of look for look like someone who is very uncertain in the classroom. They might ask a lot of questions even when you're pretty sure they know the answer already because they are never secure right they're not they're not settled in the answer they've um, been given and they're really not sure if what they're doing is going to make you happy right and it's not in this terms of like joyful happiness but if I do the if I get a bad grade or if I don't hand in this paper right are you going to become you know sad anxious irritated all of those things our ambivalent children are most likely to respond to that and then the fourth one that i want to talk about is called the um disorganized attachment style um this is typically um a result of a lot of maybe family upheaval or personal upheaval with the caretakers where they're not able to be as consistent as they'd like and maybe you know for the first month or so we've got a routine and then the next month you know we're moving or we're fighting or we're, we don't have any money and suddenly you know food is different sleep times are different um, Maybe uh, the caretakers have an awful lot of emotion, possibly explosive or possibly expecting things from their child that their kid really isn't ready to do. So having these developmentally inappropriate expectations. So a child who is, once again, consistently in um, in an unpredictable environment, their belief then as they grow up tends to be okay I am not safe here because I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what to do so there's a lot of uncertainty and as a student you might see them freezing right if you imagine yourself like walking down the street and you hear a loud noise and you're like I don't know what to do right we we tend to freeze um, until we figure something out we might see some um, disorganized movements some um lack of coordination, bumping into things, falling off of things, you know, stuff like that. So um, those are the four that, and like I said, of course there are extremes of all of these, but most of them are just shades, just a shade of something. Just knowing these things for your own child um, will help you understand kind of why they're responding things and not always but but, you know why they might respond in certain ways now if you have a baby then you can even be more mindful of that right but that doesn't necessarily change the fact that you know it's hard (laughs) you're going to be stressed out 
when there's a pandemic and you are either working from home or you've lost your job and your child is now at home, like, sorry, we're going to all be very protective right now. We're uh, very anxious. We're very worried. We're very stressed out. So that's where we do the self-care, right? Because our kids respond to our energy, they respond a little bit to what we say. They respond a little bit to what we do. Very little to what we tell them to do. But boy, oh boy, did they respond to our energy. So uh, that's our self-care work that we do there. As a teacher in the classroom, this will help give you a different perspective and it will help you um, maybe plan, like if a child comes to me with this kind of belief that they always have to take care of their caregiver, well, what do they need? And I go into that in the book, and I'm not going to do that here, but they need something different than someone who trusts me to care for them, right? Totally something different. Maybe they need... Um, me to check in with them first or maybe they need a little more um, they need the, the teacher to express more trust in their own independence right so lots of different things that we can try because I'm going to go back to this this is all trial and error right the distress the communication of the distress the response and the resuming comfort, that's what we're going for. But it's a bumpy road. It's not a clean circle, okay? We don't always get the information from kids that we need. Uh, they don't always express it. And then we think they need something, but really they need something else. So I guess what I'm <laughs> trying to say is it is important that we activate that awareness that goes beyond our teacher brain or our parent brain. And that awareness is the one that becomes the witness that can watch what's happening without, it, without dragging along a bunch of emotion and story about it. So that means if I'm a parent, I'm going to be able to or I'm going to practice stepping back and just knowing, okay, yep, now I know why this is happening, right? I'm going to make sure that, that I am bringing a less anxious energy to my child. Or I am going to um, ask more often what my child actually needs. Is that what you need or do I just give it to them? So lots of things we can do to help fill the needs of all the, of kids with all these different attachment styles. And I'm going to reiterate that what I described were re relatively and they weren't that extreme but you know no one is always acting that one way, okay? Um there is a a little bit more of an extreme attachment style which generally is the result of pretty severe um, abuse or trauma, and that would be a reactive attachment disorder. So it's, it is considered a disorder 
because in that state, that child is responding to a past abuse or trauma. So their belief, of course, is also I'm not safe, but I need to escape. I need to get out of here. So that's where there might be um, more manipulation, outbursts, running away if they're older, um, things that you're like, what is, where did that come from? So, you know, I mean, all kids have, have temper tantrums. So a temper tantrum is not the same thing. But um, if you are a parent or a teacher who works with kids who've been diagnosed, it is a di- diagnosis of reactive attachment disorder, you've probably seen this. So just keep in mind That means that their belief, not in their mind isn't their belief, in their body, their belief is, I'm not safe, I need to escape. So what they need is a constant sense of safety, but also they need, like we had talked about earlier with uh, trauma recovery, is they need to know that no one is forcing them or manipulating them into anything. Because that's what they're trying to get away from, right? They're trying to escape that. So choice, no one is forced, no one is coerced, and we do this together. All right, but that's that, That's like I say, that's that last one there. Um, I hope that was a little bit helpful. I know it's kind of a lot of information all at once. But um, as I said, my book, Mindful Schools from the Bottom Up, is going to be released on September First. So if you haven't already um, added your name to the please let me know right away list, I'll drop a link in the show notes so you can put your name on the list and get your copy as soon as possible. And um, I'm so excited about this and I'm so excited to share it with all of you. And I can't wait to hear, you know, what you think, of course, but um what parts of it speak to you the most because the book you know goes from just basic feel good mindfulness all the way to uh you know a community recovery from trauma so i hope you find something in there that's that's applicable right now if you pick up uh, um this book all right so you guys you guys take care of yourself take care of your energy that's really what self-care should be all about right now like you can go ahead and take a a bubble bath and pour yourself a cup of tea that's fantastic but like as often as you possibly can be checking in with your energy level your and by that I don't mean like are you energetic I mean is my internal energy calm or is it a little panicked or a lot panicked? And then you need to do the work. We all need to do the work to ease that nervous system. I know it sounds hard. Some of us might even think that that's not possible when there's chaos going around, but it is possible. In fact, that's the way we... um, the healthiest way to live in this world, right, is to be calm in the center and then be able to respond to the world around us. All right, well, I am thinking about all of you, really am. 
care about all of you guys. And I believe that together we are going to build a fantastic future for our kids and our, our students. I do believe that, you know, we just need to decide, right? Thanks for deciding with me. Take care, bye, guys. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for joining me um, on the School Yoga Coach podcast. If you'd like to learn more or um, check out some of the resources that I am sharing with both teachers and yoga teachers, please visit www.schoolyogacoach.com. Stay well, everybody.